kind of picked up and started talking about the merging of the sacred with the secular, and we kind of used uh, Beyonce's new song as a, as a jumping off point. And last week, we showed you several opinions. And most of the opinions that we had last week was uh, really from the standpoint of uh, the re religious leaders. Uh, a bishop, you know, had problems with it. Some other commentators made comments that the concern they had. And, and it all stemmed from, you know, sampling. So let me just say this real quick. Sampling has been going on with secular artists, sampling Christian music, Christian God artists, uh, sampling secular, uh, uh, secular uh, musicians and, and uh, artists' uh, lyrics. So that, that has been happening all the time. The thing that I want to be clear is I'm not upset with Beyonce for sampling that goes on. I just think that uh, the way she packaged this song, it just, you just can't stomach it from a Christian standpoint. There's no way that you can, that you could even, when you look at the lyrics and read the lyrics to it, there's no way, you know. So it, it was definitely something that, that does not line up with any Christian values that we have. Now, there's different arguments out there about whether or not Major Grant. So, so what, what, if, what if she was singing about her experience? If, if we think art imitates life, if, can we go with that? Okay. What if she was singing about her experience and, and or an experience that she know of, of church girls acting out in that way? What, what was wrong with that? I, I, it's like we said, did we have a problem with it being called church girl? Or do we have a problem with the lyrics? For me, you know, the, the title Church Girls can be debated. For me, the lyrical content, when you read the lyrics and see what it suggests, right. some will say, hey, you know, she could be luring church girls into that life instead of exposing that life. Instead of saying, hey, I'm just exposing what goes on. Or, hey, if some, she got a following. So now of all her followers, and I'm pretty sure there are some followers that are Christian, is it possible that some of them could be pulled into that if you, when you read the lyrics? In the context. So what I want to do tonight, because sometimes when you listen to a discussion or having a conversation about something, you want to kind of hear another opinion, another perspective. If that's is that okay? And, and because everybody don't share the same perspective on something, and just like uh, the bishop said last week, there are going to be some people who are going to see this and going to say, "Hey, that's that's part for the course. That's how we. That's how business is conducted." And then there are going to be some that say, "Hey, no." Like we saw most of the ones last week with the G. Craig's and the two uh, uh, podcast guys, you know, they was pretty much clear on what that one guy, the musician, was kind of like, okay, there is some gray area here, not with the song, but is it wrong for what we got left off at with a musician, you know, um, doing both. They go out and play secular music and then come in on Sunday and, and play what is considered sacred music, music that is dedicated to God and to the in the church and things of that nature. And and with that, you know, we find out that uh, music in and of itself is amoral. You know, it, it, you know, a note is a note is a note. You know, I think, but when people create, they have certain things in mind when they're creating. Certain things run through their mind as an intent, what they hope their audience receives from whatever it is they're creating. And so I think sometimes we look deeper into, we have to kind of take all that into consideration, be it good, bad, or, or indifferent. But let me just be clear. The sampling that goes on. So I ain't trying to correct that. So, so I do want to kind of show a couple of uh, different points of view or perspective. Then we're going to try to 
connect this to how I think that sometimes when the church gets caught up in stuff like this, sometimes it, it is because of the hypocrisy in the church. I, I think we give them ammunition to use based upon the things that they see church folk does, whether right or wrong or not, but, 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 but Jesus was very clear that there can be a level of hypocrisy even in the leadership, in leadership in the church, that could cause people to be, you know, led astray, but at the same time, it could cause the world to look at that and say, see, that's how all church folks are. They all act like that, and that's not true. Even when Jesus, you know, had this confrontation with the religious leaders of the day, there were some good guys out there that was, he was, as he was blasting them, there were some good guys in the audience, you know. Nicodemus was a good guy. Joseph of Arimathea was a good guy. But he knew within that was the majority were bad guys. And so I think that even when we look at things and talk about the church, I don't think that everybody in the church is bad and everybody in the church is not going to be depict what uh, Beyonce was saying about. But I do think that there's been enough hurt put on by the church itself that will cause people to take shots back at the church. And so I think that's just a reality. But to go that far, maybe, you know, it's what's questionable. So again, I just want to show you these clips, then we want to just kind of have a discussion, a little short discussion, hopefully, and then uh, take a look at Matthew 23. But I still like never would have made it, you know, started off in the church, you know, it was everybody's funeral song, then people start working out to it. Now it's still the hottest song in the club. I love that you said it's still the hottest song in the club, because I'm sure you've seen on TikTok people are like the song. I love it. You love it, good, because I I do. there's, there's See, conversation now oh, about- Oh, get over it. You I know. know. We always make it- Secular artists it. using gospel uh, so You listen, don't mind. Hey, I, look, look, Never Would Have Made It has been sampled by DJ Khaled. Never Would Have Made It has been sung and uh, by Tiana Taylor and sampled by Yeezy. Uh, Never Would Have Made It has been sampled by, um, uh, it's on the Carter Five. All of these records have gone multi-platinum. The reason why I'm not tripping, because music business is a business. No matter what my intent, my intent was my intent when I recorded the song. You know, secular artists do this because they honor us. It's, 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 it's about honor. And then not only that, they say, you know, we honor you so much, we gonna put some money in your pocket. And it's a business, so I'm like, Everybody went around here tripping about samples and all that kind of stuff. You know, shoot, uh, those three artists in themselves helped me put my kids through college. So, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, they enjoy my music. And for those that's like, you know, overly spiritual and overly deep and feel like we should be denouncing, I ain't got that kind of time. There's stuff that we can be doing that's far more important than denouncing people over a song. is at it once again with disobeying God's law. And now she's trying to lure church girls in to her agenda. In her song, Church Girl, it says, church girls acting loose, black girls acting snotty, let it go, girl, let it out, girl. Twerk that A like you came up out the South, girl. I said, now nah, drop it like a thotty, drop it like a thotty.
This is not glorifying God in no type of way, but instead she is encouraging church girls to actually stray away from God. If you guys are still listening to Beyonce music, I don't know how much proof do you need to stop listening to her music because she will literally lead you to hell. I finally listened to Church Girl by Beyonce. This is my first time listening to a Beyonce song since childhood. I do have something to say about the song and it's kind of interesting. Church Girl to me, the lyrics and I guess whatever Beyonce was communicating uh, depicts something that happens in real life. A lot of women who come to church, have a good time in worship are also out there dancing to secular music. It's a reflection of reality. It's a reflection of the preacher's daughter. It's a reflection of the elder's daughter. It's a reflection of the deacon's daughter. It's a reflection of where a lot of those men found their wives. Church Girl basically talks about what these church girls are doing outside of church. I feel like this song was more so a song that reflects my generation. Well, the women within my generation and my age group. There's women who sat up here and were brought up in the church, raised as good little church girls, but you rarely ever see them at church, but you always find them somewhere club hopping. That's what's going on in church, y'all! When you're wondering where all the millennial women are uh, during worship service and you don't ever see them, Beyonce just told you exactly where they are. So before we get mad at Beyonce, let's actually thank God that somebody brought it up. And to all my church girls who might feel some type of way about what I'm saying, church girl, don't hurt nobody. Bring back power around your head and your neck. I want to know what bishop told you that you can still be saved and listen to secular music. Who told you that? No, come on, hit it. Hit it, Unica. Who told y'all that? Who told y'all that the church is supposed to be this? Who told y'all Hit it, Unica. in my past. I ain't going to not why I need it too bad. I mean, I used to be hard about a lot of things, dogmatic, but that was my point of view, my, my, my upbringing and all that. But a lot of those things were my personal conviction. So, but I don't think I've ever went so far as to tell somebody they're going to hell for something that they're doing that I don't agree with, but that ain't my call. But for her to be caught doing that after she done preached this powerful point, 
but Bishop, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that. And then now for her to be doing that, that gives the world the opportunity to say, see, I told you. You know, and so all I'm saying is that whatever our viewpoints is, when we build them on scripture, we stand on scripture, make sure we understand the difference between our personal conviction, what's literally sin, and what's just our personal conviction. And then, as I said last week, like Paul said, sometimes when you're trying to win people in the world, you try to he tried to become all things to all men, but he didn't compromise. He didn't compromise who he was uh, as an as a apostle. He didn't compromise, but he understood that if I eat a pork chop, I ain't going to hell. It's bigger than that. So if I'm sitting over here with the Gentiles and I have dinner with them, I'm okay. So I'm trying, he was trying to find that where is that common ground so that we don't get boxed in and we can never outreach to anyone outside the walls of the church. And, and the point I made last week that I want to just keep it for us, we can't always look at things from where we are now, 65 years and 50 years into it. You're you kind of going to have to look back and see where you were at at 21. When, if you had been listening to Chaka Khan or whoever it is your favorite person was back then before you got truly saved and then came in and didn't give up that until it, you, you outgrew it or the Spirit of God took it from you, most people who transition into the kingdom of God don't go cold turkey. I mean, they don't. It's a process. If it was a cold turkey thing, the Bible would be clear on that. But the Bible always talk about growth and spiritual growth, starting as a baby and then growing your way through the process to become more and more like Christ. But I think sometimes we can grow and get grown, and then we don't know how to relate to the person who is still a child trying to get to where we are. You know, and that's my only thing, when you have an open and broad mind when you're dealing with young people who are not where we are, but you got to kind of meet them where they are without compromising your view, values and compromising the word of God and compromise the truth that you stand on. And then, you know, whatever the, the Lord leads you, the Spirit of God leads you to do, as long as you got a, a clean conscience and your conscience is not convicting you, if your conscience convicts you of some things, then you, it, to, to you it might as well be sin because it's telling you you shouldn't do that. But because my conscience convicts me on something, I shouldn't say if it's not clearly defined as sin, that if Major's doing something that I am convicted on, then I can't say that Major is sinning and he's going to hell and then now I'm harder on Major and then when I do something that someone questions, then I'm easy on myself when I'm doing it, but I'm harder on somebody else when they're doing it. And that's what Jesus' point, we're going to see in a minute when he was dealing with, with the leaders. I mean, they were hard on everybody else, but they were never looking at themselves and seeing how they carried themselves in front of people so, and how they presented themselves and what they presented and things of that nature. So with that said, looking at those views and is there any comments about what we just saw? Any comments? Any commentary? You know, again, I think I'm clear on what I thought about the song, you know. But it wasn't for me, but I disagree with everything she said in the song because it's a bad song. I mean, it's just a, ain't no way to make it nice in, in, in any way, shape, fashion, or form. Get a mic, please. And all of them are on, so you don't have to push a button. I made sure they were all on so that uh, unless something happened with the batteries, they, you should be able to just talk. The song that um, Beyonce made, is it supposed to be a Christian song? Or is she just calling out people? No, it's definitely not a Christian song. Beyonce is a secular artist. She don't sing gospel music unless she just on there with somebody else. You know, 
there have been there have been secular artists who do sing gospel music sometimes. I think Whitney sing a gospel song, and there are other people have sang gospel music and secular music. They go back and forth and do that. But that song in and of itself was was had nothing to do with her writing a gospel song. She just sampled some gospel music lyrics and then added other things to it. Well, you see, the reason why I say this is because she was always extreme. You see, because in them color, Queen B, she's like the center of the world to many people. Not to me. I don't even listen to her music. But I've seen her dressed up while she's pregnant, like Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and I make a video. I don't know if you all ever seen that. It's a lot of stuff she do that is completely out of hand in the sense of respecting the Lord and his word and the things that she do. And she do it because she can get away with it because of who she are. It's, you see, it's a good thing that these young people today are very smart as well because it's not everybody going to follow her. You see that young lady? She, you can tell she's a very young person, and she see her for who she is. Amen, amen. And, and that, that is a different viewpoint at that age group, and, uh, and she kind of said some of the same thing. I think she, if we were to look at probably everything that that young lady probably put out, she probably sound more like a female version of G. Craig Lewis because she, I saw some of the same imagery, you know, with the, the symbols of Baphomet, the devil worship, and all that, that she was trying to put in there. And you could see it. And, uh, and, and so she was making the point. A little stronger then when she said, hey, you know, if, if your children going to follow Beyonce, one is shot. She said, hey, they're going to leave them straight to hell. So, I mean, if I was a parent, you know, and, and, and again, if I was a parent, I wouldn't allow my child to buy that music, that particular song. I mean, but I would probably discourage my children from buying any secular rap music that got cursing and all that stuff in it. So it ain't just Beyonce. I wouldn't be singling her out. But that don't mean they ain't going to listen to it. They ain't going to download it. Ain't, there are a lot of things that I, I have taught, you know, my kids that when they got grown, some of them they agreed with and stuck with it, and some things they did. I mean, they, they make their own decision when they get to the age of accountability. But when they were under my roof, there were certain things that they just didn't see us do. Uh, and that, you know, that we didn't do in front of them, we didn't do it all. So they never saw me and their mama drink wine or alcohol or anything like that, you know, when they was coming up. But, hey, when they got grown, that's what they wanted to do. That's fine. I do have one comment. Um, Sunday we did talk with the teens about it, and it was interesting that some of our teens who grew up in striving and the comments and things that they were making, and um, one in particular was like, I'm kind of glad we had this discussion because they enjoy having a discussion to hear, like they feel free enough to get their voice heard. And for the most part, none of them thought she should change the name of the song. None of them thought anything was necessarily um, religiously wrong with it. They expected it from Beyonce. They were like, I wasn't expecting her to sing a church song. Um, but they also did agree that there are girls that are out there that are like that. So. Our kids are super smart. They, you know, they've been raised right. They have the right influences. And so they were really able to have a really good discussion about it that sounds just like the discussion we're having here. Not of anything that's like of extreme influence or stuff. Now, quite a few of them said they like the beat and they'd be willing to download it. I ain't disclosing no names, but, um, <laughs> you know, kids that grew up here. But they were, they, they, they sounded pretty much the same. You had some of them that said, hey, no, they should change the name. You know, 
other ones that didn't have a problem with it, other ones that said that don't constitute every girl who goes to church. Like they, you know, they had the same sort of deal. So it was really nice to hear them have a discussion and to hear their voice of it and know that in striving, the parents are doing the right thing and, and allowing them to be able to make judgment on their own about things that they hear. Major, you got a mic? I just want to uh, talk the hypocrisy of it because when um, I think more about the act or how we'll say something in public and then behind the scenes our children see something different. So the hypocrisy of us is what I was I was looking at how we we beat down Beyonce, but when Kirk Franklin did what he did. The men didn't bash him. They just said, oh, he deserves grace. So if we go. Oh, you don't want it with his son. And when his son, son did your tape. Okay, I got so you. So I'm saying, okay, well, listen to this. This is how he is, but we'll publicly say something and then we'll act a different way. And our kids see that. And so they label, okay, well, that's how all church people are. So we give it. We give it a bad name when we do that. And so if I'm understanding you, man, you're saying that as a Christian community, we should have been harder on Kurt because he is one of us and did that. Whereas Beyonce don't portray to be one of us. She's doing what the devil's supposed to do, if that be the right. case. The hypocrisy of it all. I mean, we're supposed to, if we say we're a preacher or when we do that, we can't jump all over on Beyonce. We don't jump all over our own like that. Do we? No? Okay. okay. We? That's a point of perspective. But Major, I agree with you because I even asked Pastor. I said, what about when the pastor's in the pulpit and they talking about people and there's, you know, the, and the worldly folks and going in on them, right? But then when they come back, and, and say, okay, well, this is how church girls acted. You know, so it's like, who, the judgment thing, who right and wrong about any of it? You cannot like it, but for you to be saying some of the stuff, I'm like, everybody's has an opinion. Well, nobody's perfect. That's why Jesus came and died for all. Okay. He messed up. Well, but, but when you publicly say, I'm this way, I'm this way, when you're not that way, that's the hypocrisy of it. And kids see that. But then when we jump, we jumping on Beyonce. Nobody's expecting Beyonce to be. Okay, a, a, good, a good example, say, for instance, you know, I've been very dogmatic about alcohol. And I said, man, I don't even, you know, I don't drink nothing, not even sparkling, you know, I don't drink no alcohol, nothing with alcohol content in it like that. So, okay. So all of a sudden now I've been saying that, preaching that, not saying, you know, at one time I used to kind of say, okay, well, you know, I may have been a little hard and say, hey, you shouldn't drink nothing because that was my personal conviction. Even though alcohol was never my big sin, I tell people that I, I was never, you know, I can count on one hand the times I've been drunk, only two, you know, and, uh, and one was, you know, just two times. So, I mean, so when I said I'm going to stop drinking, it wasn't like I gave up something that was really holding me back from Jesus. That was an easy win for the Lord. Okay, you just stop drinking. And okay. But when I did that, I wanted everybody to stop drinking. I mean, because I had got this new freedom. Hey, man, we can go out. We, you ain't got to drink nothing. Well, everybody wasn't feeling that. I mean, some of my friends that I was still hanging with, they weren't feeling that. Okay, and, and so as a result of that, I started hearing, you know, saying, okay, well, man, I don't know how you can do that, and, you know, and still go to church, you know, 
And, and so I became kind of judgmental on that. But then as I, you know, looked at it, I said, okay, let me just like Jesus. Because when you do that, people start remembering stuff. You know, Jesus told water and wine. You know, and they talked about him and said that, you know, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness eating wild oats and honey. And they say, he's a madman. And then Jesus come in and they say, because he drank a little wine, he's a wine bibbler. And I said, okay. So to me, that opened my eyes to say, okay, I'm no, I'm no longer trying to try to regulate what people do when it comes to that unless they cross the sin line. Sin is sin. I don't care which one it is. We can pick any of them. You got to call sin, sin. But for me to get on major now, because he was on the cruise and, and he had a glass of wine, you know, in the old days, you know, the first time I went on a cruise like that, man, it, it upset me when I saw tribal members. But I ain't saying that I ain't get indignant and jump up and down and say, I don't believe y'all. I, I mean, but in my heart, I was, man, because it surprised me to see people do it. But again, as I have grown, I said, okay, as long as there wasn't no sin, nobody got drunk, that's that personal, personal conviction. My personal conviction, I, I'm not going to drink alcohol again. You know? and, 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 and so sometimes when my personal conviction bleed over and like into into my sermons, then now someone can take that as God's word when that's just my personal conviction. And then I can hold, maybe people say, well, he's going to hold that against me because I'm not following his personal conviction. And that could be a personal conviction, not just on alcohol, but a lot of things that we bring into ministry, bring into the church that has to do the way we were brought up and, and what we've been around that kind of influence our thinking as we're coming up. The, the beauty for me growing in ministry and growing up, I was brought up in the Baptist church, so it was really kind of lax there. When I came in the military, I had the opportunity to just worship with a whole lot of different folks. And my, my biggest experience that I had was two different denominations that really caught me by surprise. But when I was part of a Pentecostal movement, because coming up in the Baptist church, that was the devil's folk right there. I mean, when I first went to a Pentecostal church, and saw how they operate in the spirit and the things they do, I wanted to get out of there so quick I, couldn't, I didn't know what to do because I had never seen that before. Not that it was wrong, but everything that I was taught was say, hey, you ain't got to get in church and run all over the place. You ain't got to speak in tongues. You, you know, I was seeing people crawling on the floor, shaking their head like they were the hair twirling around. And I'm saying, I wasn't used to that. So when I left there, you know, I, I condemned that. Man, them folks ain't got no clue what they're doing in there. They, don't, they, they ain't worshiping God at all. But I was preaching from my frame of reference of being brought up in the Baptist church. Then I went to the Church of God in Christ, which was kind of a spin-off of Pentecostal, but not all the way. Like they didn't crawl on the floor in the Church of God in Christ. Now I didn't see them. I, I never seen them crawl on the floor and do that, you know, and the ladies running around their long hair. Because, again, the Bible talked about that ladies' hair is their glory and all that. So they was doing all that. But in the Church of God in Christ, I felt like I, I learned donology there. Because that I was told we can't watch the television because that's the devil's box, you know, and, and definitely we didn't drink alcohol, you know, in public, you know. So we used to go out all the time. Everybody sit there just like we would do. I thought everybody should do when we was, you know, on the cruise. We in public. You don't drink. But then they go home and they drink. And so it would have been better for them to just go ahead and drink in public than to pretend in public like they don't drink and then get home and do drink. And so I think that's what everybody's personal conviction got to come in at. And, 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 and we as believers, so that we don't get into the area where people think we're judging or condemning them, that we got to just say, make sure that what somebody's doing is clearly defined in the Bible as sin. You know, something that God say he's against, 
Then if God say he's against it, then I think we have no choice but to, to be against what God is against. But if it's something, now I was shocked. I'm going to be honest with you. I, cause now, based upon what Marvin said, what's that what name, Marvin? Marvin Sapp. Now, we done, we done threw down a hill on his song. And I remember when he wrote that song, Never Would Have Made It, because it was right after his wife died. So that was like a testimony of how God brought him through that time. He was, his wife died. I think he had small kids. She was about 40-some years old. So he wrote that song, and boom, it was a hit in the gospel world. But I guess because of the melody in it and how it was attributed to a lot of different things that people could dance off of it. And so he was honest. He said, hey, man, business. Put my kids through college. They, they asked to sample, I let them sample. But some other person, another Christian may have said, hey, my music is only going to be sung by gospel artists, period. They can make that choice. But to condemn him, I don't know. That's, that's a stretch. I don't know. Some people may condemn him, but he's a guy that, we got his music now, so what are we going to do? Go throw it all away? Because he done publicly said that, hey, now we may have a whole different look. I ain't buying no more Marvin stuff when he come out. I ain't, next one, I ain't, I ain't buying now. I don't know. So, but if that's what you choose to do, then do that. But if you say, hey, I'm going to buy his music. I understand he's a businessman when it comes to that, but he still writes good lyrics and, 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 and songs that can be used to glorify God. I'm going to do that. But if you're not, then that's fine. Anybody else before I start, before we, before we kind of transition? Any comments? Any comments, Brother, brother Ross? Well, I think you kind of went to where I was going to say was, you know, Marvin Sapp saying, hey, it's no big deal for business. Then the lady commentary came behind and basically saying, hey, it is a big deal. And so, you know, from our standpoint, or, or where do we look, or even you, where do you look from that standpoint is, is it a big deal or not a big deal or it depends on how they sampling and what they say because I'm pretty sure there's mud, other artists out there that have allowed their music to be sampled into the secular music arena and, and Marvin Sapp was saying, hey, you know what? I done sent two or three of my kids to college and for me, I look at it from a business standpoint. Yeah, and, 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 and that's a good point. I mean, that's a, that's a real good point. And, and, and my personal commitment, now I'm not a musician, so I ain't got three kids in college, so the apples are not apples. But I was just saying, based upon where I am at now, if I was, my mindset was where it is now, if I wrote something like that, then I would definitely want to put something in there that if you're going to sample this, then you're going to have to keep it clean. You ain't going to be able to get in there and say MF and all that, because you do, I'm going to sue you. You know, because we're going to have it in writing, we're going we're gonna to agree, you can use it, but I'm going to have some restriction. But for somebody else, say they're a secular artist, taking that out ain't going to sell it. You know, if they're trying to make money off of it, then, you know, it ain't going to sell it. So I think that comes down, that would be my position on that, that if I wrote those songs and if, I, if they was mine, uh, knowing what I know about me now, hopefully, but if I was that time just lost my wife and got three kids trying to put through college, you know, somebody say maybe you, he sold his soul to the devil by allowing them to do that then it, it wasn't a sin under death. Repent and move on. I mean, cause, I mean that ain't going to send him to hell. I mean, I mean, there ain't one no sin that he's going to hell because he did that. So, Pastor, when you say that about him saying that if they use this music, um, he's going to sue him or whatever, 
I mean, it's like you were saying, it's played all in the clubs. They got all kind of challenges on TikTok with it, um, where people are taking it and they've like remixed it and did all these things to it. Um, are you, and, and kind of like what Marvin said, he was like, he felt honored that they would take his song and do that with. Like he knew what he wrote it for and, and why. And then when they took it, you know, because even in looking at some of the TikToks, because uh, I went back after looking at that clip of the stuff they were doing, from young to old, they were all kind of, they even got line dances to it, they got aerobic dances to the song, to the remix that somebody did. And for example, like at our refit class, a lot of the songs that she do, people have taken gospel songs and remixed them so that you could do aerobics to it. So it has that beat and has that, but it's that song. And so even when you're thinking about that, like, are you, you talking about monitoring all of that and figuring out, you know, I can't do my aerobics to it, I can't do this to it because you've taken and remixed it? Now, I'm just, now the question was, the, if it was my music and I wrote the song and then Keisha wanted to come and sample my song, then I think I would have some input into what your lyrical content you're going to put to my song. See what I'm saying? Because I wouldn't want you to take my song that I wrote, that I created, that was designed to glorify God, and then now you're going to put MF in it, and you're going to put all that in it. Then I have a problem with that. But I'm not glorifying God when, if I take it and put I'm it in the saying, club. I'm just saying you asked me my thing. I now. get it, but I'm saying if I go and take it, it's like, are you saying all of that? Because if I go and take it and put it in the club, and I may not be saying what Beyonce's saying, but I'm doing what she's saying in the club to this song, is that the same thing? I'm, I'm trying to follow you. So... The stuff that she was saying, if I'm actually doing that to the song. The stuff that she was she, saying. She's saying that if, 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 she's, if she's being a thought to the same song with the lyrics different, no, is it the same? Or if, or if you say, okay, if you said, if you said somebody couldn't sample your music, what if a known weed smoker, Snoop Dogg, wanted to sample your song, but just no curse words. Like you say, your stipulation was, hey, you don't use my song, you, can, you can't use curse words. But here it is, a known weed smoker. Is it okay for him to do it if he took the curse words out? Because now what he's personifying is, ain't got nothing to do with church. Everybody know he's a weed smoker. Would you let him sample your song? That's a good one. That's son. I, you know, yeah. if it, if again my personal conviction, knowing what I know about him, the that's, answer that's probably be that's I what I'm saying. Mean, so, I, I, but I'll be my judgment call to say now. I mean, I just don't want to collaborate with you. So, on that. so now is is not only the lyrics, it's the person that you would let sample. Well, I, I do think you know we're gonna see here. So faster, character does minute. matter sometimes. I need character it, 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 it matters because it's what he portrays. Even if he took all the curse words out, Snoop Dogg singing a gospel song is still going to reflect something different. No, Pastor, I feel like it's important that the person that make this song is how they make it with their heart, what they believe about the music that they make. What other people do with the music is not important. The person that created the music and their, their personal feelings and heart that they put in there is what should matter not what who want to add on and take off. Because I think Marvin Sapp's song, the reach it has had past Marvin Sapp, 
could have taken some kid that was doing that, and then now they want to know, well, really, where did the song come from? They hear the whole thing. It may lead them to ask a question. That Because I remember when DJ was in high school, he was in there singing this song. And I said, where you get that song from? It was like an older song. Well, he loves Chance the Rapper. And in Chance the Rapper, he samples all kinds, because he's just got a real strong religious belief from his grandmother, and he samples all kinds of songs. And he knew tons of gospel songs by listening to Chance the Rapper. Okay. Adrian, were you going to say something? I you, okay, good. And so, so when we get into this area of music and, and lyrics, and then you take it over into entertainment, period, it's a lot of different mindsets and different thoughts. And I think it's important for us to realize is that we all may be at different places and different how we see certain things from our perspective. And so therefore, if I'm going to like you say, if I'm going to come at Snoop about that, do I come at Denzel for training day? Do I come at, you know, do I come at anybody else for whatever movie that they done played in that don't depict who they really are? He's not that guy, but he was that guy, and if I didn't know he was saved, hadn't heard his testimony, and hear him, you know, talking about Jesus in that regard, then if all I ever knew was Denzel from that movie, and I would think, man, that's a low-down dude, but if he like that. But again, that's what the hypocrisy come in at is that that very thing, acting, is nothing but, from the Greek word, hypocrisy. All I mean, it, it means that we play something that we are not. Now, some people probably get in character and play something who they really are. You know, I mean, I remember when, what, New Jack City came out, you know, and uh, what's the name that was Pookie? No, I'm not, yeah, well, Nino, yeah, Nino was low down, I mean, but he was already kind of, bad, I mean, but, but Pookie, whatever his name was, every time I see him now, Pookie put something in my head, that's all I can do, he, he, he was typecast in my mind, he's Pookie forever, you see what I'm saying? But, but, but that, I had to say that, that was a role he played, does he live like that in real life? Probably not, not like Pookie, I mean, he probably not that it, degree of movement. So when we get into these areas of, of life and where things merge, we can keep going on and on and on till we get down, like I said last week, we can get down to the person who go to school for certain things and then all of a sudden now, you know, can I use this degree to do what I'm doing right now? You know, and, 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 and so that's why I say your personal conviction is your personal conviction. If it's sin, it's sin. We got to all agree on that. I mean, I think that we can agree on that. But when it comes down to those things that it may come down to my personal conviction, I'm hard on this, or, or soft on this, or my understanding is different, then I think we, we cross that line from when it sounds like we're judging and condemning people and we don't have a heaven or hell to put them in. You know? But we all are entitled to our personal conviction. And, and, and what we ought to live out those convictions, but if everybody else don't share your conviction, then don't think that they are wrong if they're not sinning, just to where they are in life, you know, be it music, be it, you know, I know some Christian, I used to listen to a guy out of D.C., he was very strict, man, this, this guy, you know, he would teach his church, they couldn't even go to movies, period. You know, you don't need to go in no theaters, you don't need to give your children no cell phones, none of that, I mean, he was anti all of that, and I'm pretty sure some of his members who sit down under him said, Okay, we like rare, but look, we got Netflix. We got this. We're we going to look at something. 
And then there may be some who say, hey, no. Rev said it. We ain't going to no more movies. That was their thing. But I don't think he could tell the world that going to a movie is sinful. One more question, Pastor. I'll let you get to so, so for us, let's just say for, for Christians then, is it more beneficial to be real, to be who, who you are, as opposed to saying something that you're not going to live? And I know nobody's perfect, but I'm saying when we say something that we're not going to live, Keisha might be one way, that she, I might be another way, but when we say that we're Christians, if we act out of character, we give all other Christians a bad name. Not so much Christians. We give, when we act out of character and say we're Christians, we give God a bad name. Okay, okay, yeah. So we give, so we give God a bad name. When we, when we say things and then we act contrary to that. So even if, even if some of us in here are doing everything that they act the way they're supposed to act, one person does not. So that, that gives God a, a bad name in the, in the eyes of the world. That, that, in the eyes of the world, that lends and opens the door for the world to say, oh, Major's a hypocrite. Right. Now, uh, all the other 99 people in striving may be all living right, trying to live right, trying to stay the line, but they just saw Major. And they know Major go that. So, yeah, it's going to cast everybody in that light. But just like Jesus, he's going to throw a big stone here. But we got to know that everybody that he was throwing that stone at was not living like the people he finna start talking about. Because in that crowd were other, you know, Pharisees who were not like this. But the ones who were, that's who he was sticking. That's who he was coming at. That's who... You know, he was convicted and telling the people how to deal with them. And some of the things that they were doing, even though they were leaders, the top leaders in the whole church. Yeah. You know, and I think it's bad when, you know, it's, when a sheep do something, you know, it's different to me than when you see leadership at the highest level doing something. It's wrong for everybody, but people just expect more out of leaders. It's no different than, you know, you expect more out of the president of the United States than you do some little guy, da-da-da. So we had a scene, Barack Obama coming out of a hotel room at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, and Michelle went with him. So I'm like, ooh, what are you doing over there at 2 o'clock in the morning? I mean, because that president, man, that ain't right. But they had just seen Major Hines walking out there at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, about knowing. It could have been, and you could have been doing much worse. But, but more times than not. It's not going to be, at least it's going to be his cabinet members that they're going to catch. Mm -hmm. But then they're going to say, hey, the whole White House is tainted, just like striving. If I do something, if you did something in striving, you know, more times now, people ain't going to see you because you're going to be at home studying, doing whatever. But if I, knowing that I'm a member of striving, and somebody see me, they're like, that's major. He go to striving. Oh, man, I can't go to that church. Depending on what you're doing now. If you, and, but, but it depends on the person, too. Cause sometimes it's not going to matter. Sometimes people would do that to, as an excuse to keep from coming True. to church. They'll use that to say, hey, I ain't going to church because all of them are like that. And we got to knock that argument down. Everybody in the church is not like that. And like you say, if Beyonce was talking about church girls in a sense, then like the, I grew up with it. Every church girl, everybody that go to church is not like that. And it could be church boys too. Don't, don't just let's, I know the song is church girl, but there's some church bad boys in the church. So how do you not throw out the gospel? How do you say, because in her father, 
mind, Major, get the mic. Get the mic. But in her followers' mind, what she's saying, they say, oh, yeah, I know somebody like that. And, and I, I know that to be true. And those are the people, that, like you said, those are her followers. So if I'm in the Lord, I really don't care what her followers think about me. And if I do error, if I'm in the Lord, I know that I can repent and get back right with God. The thing is, is that if, if I have error, then I got to make it right with God and then try not to practice that. In the Bible, you know, God was not hard on people uh, for, making, for making mistakes. The problem come in is when we practice those mistakes and we repetitively do the same thing over and over again as if we're not growing and we're not learning. You know, Jesus was not hard on the lady that was caught in adultery like the Pharisee wanted to be. I mean, the law required stoning. He could have said, hey, go ahead. But he said, no, hey, it ain't all on her. Somebody else had to be a part of that since y'all said she was caught in the very act. Then now let's stone that person too. And so, you know, sometimes, like I say, they were hard on her until the, the script got flipped and said, hey, which one of y'all was the one with her? Now, let me see you stone your boys. Then they dropped the rock and stuff, went home. But he told the lady, go and sin no. Don't go back and start practicing. You done got delivered from this now. Don't go back and do what you got caught doing over and over again. And then look like, that's when it looked like we as believers are mocking God when we say, God done delivered me, and people pray for me, I'm going to give this up, I'm going to give this up. And then we end up doing it over and over again. And at some point in time, you know, you know I'm not God, but I got a feeling that, that God is not going to like it. Even with the Jews, when they kept doing things over and over again, as he forgive them, they go back and do it again, he forgive them. And sooner or later, he got tired of them. And that's why they end up in bondage. That's why people came and overran them. That's why they end up in bad situations. And then when they cried long enough and loud enough, his love showed for him again, and they forgave him. So hey, let me Pastor, just read. Uh, Every has her hand raised behind you. On a, that's the lit, Oh, okay. I didn't even notice that. Okay, go ahead. Mark, go, go. Okay, go ahead. Um, okay, so I know I came in late, but I know that we were talking about the Beyonce church girl like song and everything. And um, so for my intake, I don't know if we you guys talked about like, but my intake is that a lot of us, especially for me, like growing up in the schools, like going to school and all that stuff, most of the church girls were labeled as like promiscuous and all that stuff because we were deemed like to have a shelter life and all that. So I do see the negativity that comes through it. And I do see where you're saying like, we can't, as Christians, we can't hold that accountable for everybody. But I know that is a big let's say stereotype that girls in the church has because they're like, oh, you're protective, you're all this. So you are very promiscuous and all that. So if that makes sense. I think I'm following what you're saying. That, yeah, okay. So, so you're saying that people uh, who maybe not go to church, but no church people, girls or boys, know that, hey, even though they go to church, chances are they still got a little, they wild out on you. That's how I'm understanding that, that people, that... And, and so, yeah, exactly what you're saying, like, that, yeah, just because if people think that just because, oh, you in the church, you can't do this, do that. So that's why sometimes some church kids do go wild out and 
you know, do everything that they ain't supposed to be doing. And that's a good point. Good point. When we were talking about her last Sunday, and Peaches made the comment that she grew up pretty sheltered and was not exposed to a lot of things, couldn't have the conversations, her parents, all that. And so when she got older, she went right into the military. And she was like, it was just wide open because, and, and she got taken for granted because a lot of stuff she didn't know because they were sheltering her. And so going back to the original thing of, we can talk all day about not liking something that was said, but the conversation should be more on how we, the conversation we have with our daughters that's in the church, and then what are we doing for those ladies who, you know, everybody seems to know that it exists and helping them to walk more of a Christian walk. And that's what my thing is. I get you, Pastor, when you're saying everybody has an opinion, all that kind of stuff, I get it. But like, what's next? Like, what are we going to do? What's our action plan for this? Other than just saying, hey, don't sing this, don't do that, you're doing this. But okay, we get all that. And it's not that you're ignoring it or condoning it. It's like, like the one guy said, it's out there now. He says, you looking for those millennials? Beyonce just told you where they at. What are we going to do? Okay, good point. Good point. And I don't want to stand here tonight and say I got some action plan how to, how to reach millennials, but I do think that the church, you know, again, these conversations are not new. I think sometimes, and I've shared with the men, and I'll say here, is that sometimes uh, from, from a pastor standpoint and past experience and learning is that when it comes to certain conversations and certain things with our kids, all parents don't think the church ought to be that teacher. You know, we, we, we have had classes upstairs uh, where they broke uh, and went across into that area of, you know, the kids won't talk about it. They talk from music, they went to the lyrics of the song and the music, and then some of the, the conduct of young people until and, and they got into what we, I guess we would call sex education and relationships. Well, when a couple parents heard about that, I mean, the calls were swift to me. Hey, what y'all doing teaching our kids about that at church? I want to do that at home. I said, okay, well, hey, we'll make sure we won't go there, but I want you to know, your kids brought the question up. Your kid, it wasn't like the teacher walked in and said, we're going to talk about this morning. I used to go upstairs and teach the kids, and, 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 and when I go up there and you just say, okay, let's have an open discussion, parents, I'm here to tell you, they'll talk about it in church. I remember because I went over there during the time when they was mixing the cough syrup and something up together when Lil Wayne made a song, and everybody was mixing the cough syrup up. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm talking to a church or they ain't got no clue what we ain't talking about. And they said, no, no, Pastor Bob. <laughs> we know about that. Some of them done, done did that. But, I, you know, I didn't run out and say, man, I'm going to tell your mama. I'm just saying, whoa, these are striving. I'm thinking they are striving for perfection. They mama come to church every Sunday. And they listen to Lil Wayne and know how to mix his formula up and drink it. You know, when I was growing up, they would say to you, um, don't let me see you do that. But they never explain to you why not. So you have to, you, with your own imagination, you start thinking and making up your own opinion of what it might be, or why you shouldn't do it. But they never tell you why something is bad or why you can't do it. That's bad, and don't do it again. Why is bad? But they're not going to answer that question, you know? So how you learn from that? And, and, and I agree, and I think that's one of the discussion that, you know, we're having now. Uh, some of the brothers are having how to 
if that is a subject that we need to talk about in the church and how do we introduce it so a parent will feel comfortable have, for the boys now, we ain't talking about the girls, but for the boys to have, to have that conversation and see would they allow their sons to come and be a part of that, to talk about that whole relationship thing, you know, from God's perspective, God's point of view. I think it needs to be there, but I'm not just going to haul off and do it, and then all of a sudden these parents come back at me and say, hey, we send them to church to learn about Jesus, you know, on the cross. We didn't send you to talk to them about when they should start, what happened when they start dating. And I agree with you. I wish my, my parents never talked to us about that, never talked to us about that. So therefore, we had to learn it from the street. You know, we learned all those things from the street, and the street did not teach it. And I wasn't a, a heavy churchgoer then. I went to Sunday school and stuff like that, but I wasn't going to learn and meet Jesus. I was going because mom said, you're going to Sunday school on Sunday morning. And, you know, if I find Jesus on the way there, but at that time, I was, I was in the choir because of who was in the choir. I wasn't in the choir because I could sing. I couldn't sing a lick. Still can't sing. But when I saw who was in the choir, I said, yeah, I'm finna go join the choir. So my motive for joining the choir wasn't that I loved Jesus. I went there and said, okay, I see all these choir girls over here, more girls in the choir than boys. There were three of us boys and 12 or 13 girls here. Yeah, this is where I want to be. That was, but, I, but I wasn't walking around saying I'm totally saved, you know. I've been baptized, but my heart hadn't changed. I hadn't grown and, you know, and Sunday school wasn't teaching me that, and they didn't talk about that, but the street was telling me, hey, you 14 now. Aunt was saying, hey, you 14, what you waiting on? That's the way they taught us. That's what they said. They, they challenged us. And if we were, you know, hey, what's wrong with you? Okay. You hearing this from a credible source. That's Aunt. And so, therefore, the preacher didn't tell me not to, but uncle telling me, hey. And just so happened I go to church, and I saw more girls in the church, and I saw, well, so. Now, I wasn't a, I wasn't a terrorist in church. Don't get me wrong. I, 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 was never, that was never, I wasn't a bad guy like that in, in church. I didn't, I didn't run through the girls in the choir. So I need to make that clear. That's my tell. I didn't, I didn't. Okay. Yes. I think as a parent, I went through exactly what you went through, not knowing, not being taught things at home about, uh, about your body, what could happen if you do certain things, which you, you get involved with guys or young men, what happens when a girl and a guy get together. And as a result, I became pregnant at the age of 16. I didn't know, my mother, she used to put things around, uh, but I thought they were balloons, be, to be truthful. That was, I was young and, and I embarrassed my sister at one point because I was walking around the house blowing them up. I had no idea what they were, but I vowed and I, I said that I would never ever have a child of mine who would not know what it is, what's, what, your, what your body's gonna go through, the changes that your body's gonna go through and what it is that you're gonna see in the world how you could be lured by guys and what they're going to tell you, and not to necessarily listen to their peers, because they learn, you said, you, you learn from the street. Your peers, their peers don't know no more than they do. You know, it's like Stevie Wonder leading Ray Charles. Neither one of them could see. <laughs> so 
I say that if you want to teach something like that in the church, like the schools, they get permission from parents. You let the parents know that you're going to be teaching this subject in the, in the church and get the parents' permission. Let them know what the topic is going to be and what, you know, what the platform is going to be and let them sign their children up for it. It's something that needs to be taught because otherwise we, we make mistakes in life simply because we just don't know. And we can't go on just putting our head in the sand about things and letting, nowadays I think the pregnancy rate, rate is not as, as large as it was when, when I was growing up. It's somewhat kind of slowed down. It's probably because a lot of parents are telling their children and explaining to their children. But way back when we were growing up, that was something that was never, ever discussed. Man, okay, good point, good feedback, good feedback. Okay, so with that, uh, you can see that, uh, you know, the discussion can go on. And so what I want to do now is just kind of go over and say, okay, uh, rather than the church being hypocritical about these things and being hard on others and then not taking a look at ourselves, just let's see how Jesus, what he thought about hypocrisy and how serious it was to him. Like you said, Major, that we got to try to live a certain way because the world is watching us. You know, they are watching us. And then, and, and it's their job, if they don't want to learn to know Jesus and want to give the life of Christ, it, the, the devil's job is to tear down everything that we try to do. And his job is to tempt the world, tempt us too, just like the world tempted everybody, just like he tempted Jesus. So it's, it's no different uh, uh, than it was when he came at Jesus and offered all kinds of stuff. And like someone said, you know, when you're in the, in, in the industry and people are offering you these things and these things mean that to you and they got to end uh, a, a way to an end for you, then, yeah, it may be when a guy throw up, you know, like the world say, everybody got a price. You know, that don't have to be true, but that's what they believe. So if I throw enough money at it, then this person say, okay, I'll let them do my song. I, I can do that. But that, that goes back to what is that person's motivation and what they're trying to accomplish. So in, in chapter 23 of Matthew, and we're not going to get through all of it tonight, I can tell you that right now, but we can at least introduce, because Jesus... This was one of the times that Jesus uh, had a, one of his most serious confrontations and, and rebuke of the religious leaders. Uh, uh, and one of the things we find here, uh, Jesus really came at them hard because, you know, he called them some serious names in this when he started, you know, having this discourse with them. But what I said earlier, even though he said some serious things, we have to consider that you know, Nicodemus was still around during that time, and he had had a conversation with him and Joseph Amethair. So they were probably part of this group, but they were not necessarily like everybody in the group. So what he was doing, he was kind of addressing, you know, the legalistic attitude of the, 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 the religious leaders. And he was denouncing, how, you know, how they had become so self-righteous and, 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 and added a lot of traditional things to the law. The law in and of itself and some of the things they added in and of themselves were not bad. But what happens is they added so much more to it that the things they added became laws of, them in the, of themselves and it took the emphasis off of God and put more emphasis on the things that they added. And so and, and, and no, that's what tradition can do. And no different, you know, than the churches that we brought, were brought up in with certain things that was traditional and, and those things became the law of that church. And if everybody in that church agree with that, that's fine. But if someone don't agree with it, then you can't say it's sin. It's just the way we do things here, the way they did things there. And so he was saying, hey, 
if y'all are going to do that, don't, don't put all these, the law of itself is hard enough. But man, don't add all these other things on top of the law. And then once you add them, you don't do them, but you expect everybody else to do them. And, and that's what his problem was, you know, that I said all laws were not bad. And what, what we need to understand, Jesus uses did not condemn what the Pharisees taught. He, he, he very seldom he condemned what they taught, but he condemned what they were because their actions didn't line up with their teaching. You know? And, 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 and the tension between them and, and, and him and the religious leader had came to, come to a, 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 a climax right about now because he was a week from dying. I mean, this was during the same week that he was headed to the cross. So this was his last pitch to try to get Israel to change, to try to get the, Israel, the Israelites to accept him as the Messiah. And what you got to understand is that in all of this, he's talking to primarily the Jews, okay? And, 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 and because he was concerned about them, and, 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 and the thing that concerned them most is that the people, the very people who were supposed to be leading them to him didn't want to go, and they were stopping everybody else who wanted to go. And so he had a problem with that. He said, hey, we ain't got no problem if you don't want to come, but just get out of the way and let somebody else get on by instead of you trying to hinder their progress. But even in this rebuke, even in, in, in the language that he used that was pretty straightforward and in their faith, when you get to the end of this, and we'll probably get that next week, when you get to the end of this, he still had a, heart, a soft spot in his heart for him. He still cried out after he got through challenging them, and he cried out because he still wanted them to accept him as the Messiah and the Savior. So he cried out because that mercy and that grace and that love for them still was there, even though he felt like the biggest hindrance to where he was trying to go was the religious folks themselves. And I think if we would be honest in America right now, most of the problem that's caused in America right now is because the church ain't doing the right thing, ain't saying the right thing, and they fighting each other. You can just trace it back. Church done got so deep into politics now, they done got deep in other things, that they done lost sight of Jesus. I mean, so now we lose sight of what are we supposed to be doing when it comes to trying to reach out and save folk and get them saved, where now we're saying, hey, your affiliation will determine whether or not I even associate with you. When, when in reality, anybody that don't know the law, don't know the Lord, should be our, our target. You know, the Lord left us, he left us in the world, but we are not of the world. So therefore, we still have an assignment, but we can't save the world if we can't, if we don't have a tolerance for being around ungodly folk. And I know some Christians do have a, a tolerance, a low tolerance level when it comes to being around unsaved folk. They just, just feel kind of squirmish. And I, but, but you got to get, if you're going to save them, sometimes you got to, you know, you got to go where the fish are if you're going to catch fish. Well, you can't catch them, we can't catch them sitting off up in here all the time. You got to get out there to the deep water. You know, and, and, and so if you, but if you're not able to go out there, now that ain't for everybody. You know, everybody can't go deep sea fishing because if you still got issues in your life that you're dealing with and you're trying to go back, you know, if, if you're coming off cracked out, you shouldn't be trying to go witness to the crack house. You need to go witness somebody else somewhere because you ain't ready for that yet. Knowing that you can fall away. And I done had people who have, have I'm, uh, talked to and ministered to say, hey, man, look, 
you know, I used to have a problem with alcohol. Not me, but this, I had a problem with alcohol. And I didn't know that people who have been around alcohol so long, they can just smell alcohol on other folk. I mean, even when they've been drinking, coming out of their pores. They can say, man, I can just smell it. And sometimes when I'm around certain people, I can smell it. Even though they may have not had a drink today, I can smell it. And when I smell that, I have to get away from there because that takes me back to a place that I don't want to be. And I'm saying, wow, I ain't never had that problem, but that was pretty powerful testimony coming from somebody who know the Lord. But he knew that, hey, there's certain things I ain't going to put myself back in that position again because I know I could easily find myself back where, where the Lord didn't deliver me from. So with that backdrop, and we look at this and see this conversation uh, in, in Matthew chapter 23, and I'll just kind of introduce it tonight and then go, go a little bit deeper into it next week. It says, then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, somebody said the crowd. So now Jesus was talking to a lot of folks, but his disciples were with him. So everybody that he was talking to was not necessarily one of his disciples. But he was talking to a crowd, and in that crowd, I'm pretty sure that was Pharisees, that was Sadducees, that was scribes, that was lawyers, that was everybody in that crowd. And so he was trying to get them to open their eyes to see that, hey, there are certain things you need to be aware of if you're going to accept the message that I'm trying to give you. But you got to also be aware of who the messengers are that you're listening to now. So look what he says. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. In other words, these guys have the authority and the responsibility to stand up and teach you what thus says the Lord from the law of Moses. That's their job. They have been given that assignment. They have been given that authority. And he says, now look, they have been designated. He says, now, look at this. In verse 3, he says, so practice and obey whatever they tell you. He could have stopped right there. But he says, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. Now he didn't say stop going to church, stop going to synagogue. He just saying realize that you're talking to, you, you're going and, and you're looking at an actor. You're looking at someone who is one way on the stage, but when they get off the stage, don't do anything you see them do. Because chances are, they're not going to do what they said on the stage. So he said, look, he didn't say, turn them off, don't ever listen to them again. No, even a bad preacher, if he opened the word and read the scripture, you're going to get the word anyway. You can sort through all the rest of that, just hold on to nothing but the word he read. Now, if he don't do nothing, open the newspaper up, and, and, and that's different. But uh, uh, most preachers are going to give you something out of the Bible. And so he said here, look, he could have easily told them, don't even go listen to them guys. But he says, hey, practice and obey what they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. And that word, where we get the word hypocrite from. Now, anybody can be a hypocrite, but it's more so that the church it's the one that, because he was talking to religious leaders right there. He said, you're the one that say you represent God. You're the one that say you know God. You're the one that got the law. You got all these things. And you telling everybody, this is what they got to do. But then you ain't doing it. So you're a hypocrite. See, a sinner out there that's cutting the food, 
can't embarrass God. But Pastor Bolden can. Because the sin out there that's cutting the food is doing what he's supposed to do until he gets saved. And so therefore it's us who are in the church every Sunday saying the right things, singing the right songs, and like you said, Major, then we go out and live contrary to what we sing about or what we are taught. But here he was addressing primarily the religious leaders. He says, they crush people with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to ease their burden. In other words, hey, the law was heavy anyway, and now they don't put other things on And all of us have been in church. I've been part of it. Even here at Strive, man, you know, I, I came up out of the Baptist church, so a lot of the things that I brought out of the Baptist church and the Church of God in Christ, we brought right in here at Strive. And, and, and so, therefore, that was my frame of reference. So there's a reason that we have communion on first Sunday and not on third Sunday or fourth Sunday or every Sunday. That's a traditional thing the way I was brought up. And so in my mind, first Sunday is it. Now, if I went somewhere else and they call themselves a baptist or whatever, and they didn't have communion on first Sunday, I'd probably have a fit. Because in my mind, I was conditioned to believe that there's something special about first Sunday. Jesus' command was, you know, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So I've told you this before. We could have communion right now. And skip first Sunday. But if we did that, because we have been conditioned that that is our tradition, those of us who are steeped in that tradition, we could do a just trial test. One Sunday, we just forget to do it on first Sunday. I guarantee you on Monday, I'm going to have some calls. We just say, hey, let's just test and see. We, you know, we're going to see what happens. Because some people are going to say, that's law. I dare you not have communion on first. And Minister Latham did it, and he made a slight error with something. Oh, my God. The people who I was standing around was talking about it in that instance. So I can't even imagine if you don't do it at all. <laughs> and, and, and again, that goes back to what our traditions are, what our customs are, and those things. You know, again, Pastor Bowden, guilty. Because like I said, I was dogmatic. I had said I would never stand up in front of someone with jeans on and be teaching the word or preaching. But look at me now. Man, I mean, I said that. I had said that. And, and, and some people, when I said that, that became law for striving. But when that law got changed, because jeans has nothing to do with how you can present something, the people who brought up on that law said, oh, no. And, and that's my fault because they were taught to believe jeans was not an appropriate dress to bring God's word. And so what I'm trying to say is that there are a lot of things that we can bring into our traditions, be right or wrong, but once they, we get steeped in them, they can become law. And when someone come and challenge the law, it's like, oh, no. I don't believe you're going to do that. And so when we look at this, these things that have been passed down go all the way back to dress, where you were coming up, you know, when, you know, if a lady came in with a, a skirt above her kneecap, it was like, 
you know, you might well came in with a red dress on. And I, I don't know what, when red dresses became simple. I don't know what scarlet letter, I don't know what, but you know, that was when I'm coming up, you know, ladies didn't wear no straight up red dress to church. But it's, the blood is red. So a dress now don't make a holy person unholy because they got on the red. Red finger there, yeah. And, and, and I don't know where that came from. But when it started to happen, we have become our own little Pharisee by creating these things that we do out of tradition and out of custom. And then people think, that must be in the Bible. It ain't got nowhere, can't be found nowhere in the Bible. And as long as everybody in the church agree to those things, then it's okay. Because everybody here is on the one accord and say, this is what we're going to do. We ain't wearing red in here. Okay, got it. Everybody got it. But then once somebody come in and challenge that and say, why? Then you're going to say, well, what scripture do you base it on? Well, it's just the way we do things here. Okay. Then they say, okay, well, that's the way you do things there. Maybe I don't need to come to church because I got a red dress or some suit, a suit red. I want to wear red sometimes. But her... Testing one, two, three. Then my question right now as we go into tradition, then my question is now, as we was talking to the people today, uh, then what do Jesus' church look like? That's the question I'm asking. Now, I mean, this was before Jesus built his church. So what do our church look like today? That's interesting because one of my favorite songs that I listen to right now is with Maverick City. And it says, you know, <laughs> they're at a prison. And these men are there for the rest of their life. And they are ones that they're, you know, they turn their life over to Christ. And he says, if you ever wonder what heaven looks like, if you ever wonder what heaven sounds like. And so to think that, and not against necessarily what, you know, Brother Herb, but I'm like, there are people who think that way, and then you have folks in those situations. What if I'm homeless? And, and you know, me coming to the church may not be. So it's like you got to, it's a relationship with God. So much religion and tradition get in the way of you just having a relationship with him. Because even for you to get past your situation and grow someplace where you can come in here, sometimes it's just you knowing him as a kid and him being in your heart that's drawing you there and you getting up every day. And I just feel like it, we, we get bound down with the wrong stuff. Because I, you know, pastor said all the time, I can come in here every day and be the nastiest person, never do nothing for anybody, but I'm going to sit on my same row and do all these type of things, and my heart is so messed up, and I don't even pray. Just none of the other stuff other than show up here with my nice dress on every Sunday, right? So you think about your relationship, and that's the one thing we've really been grabbing at our kids over at the center about, because a lot of us grew up with the religion side of it, and we were bitten, we, we end up being the church girl. 
because our relationship with God. So that's, I'm glad we're having a conversation, but that's what we really need to be thinking about. And, 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 and as Brother Herb was saying, what does the, the, the church look like today? I think if, you, if we look at the, 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 um, the models that we have here in America, I don't think you're going to find no cookie cutter that all churches are like this, because if it was, we wouldn't have thousands of different denominations reading from the same Bible, you know. And I think a church now is just as much as it is cultural, depending on the culture here, what they do, and, and, and depending on a lot of other things that you brought up in, in that culture. So therefore, a, a church that is flavored in a, in a Hispanic congregation, we may read the same Bible, but we may do things a little bit different that's going to be consistent with the culture that we live in, the style of music that we play, the things that we do, and that things that we address like that. But the fundamental foundation of the church, I got to believe that if that's a Christian church, that I got to walk in there and that Jesus Christ is going to be the center of attention. He's going to be the center of attention. They're going to believe in his death, burial, resurrection, that he's the son of God, he's raised, seed raised. They're going to believe in the fundamentals of the gospel. Their methods of executing what they believe may be different. May be different. And so what we have to get beyond it's the methods. We have made the methods the law, and so therefore, if they do it in a method that I'm not familiar with, like when I went to the Pentecostal church, then hey, in my mind, that was bad. Even though they could probably find a scripture to justify what they were doing, but in my mind, I had never been exposed to that, and it was bad. I had never been exposed to speaking in tongues. So I, I, I picked the wrong church. I was TDY, and then no, I just went to the closest church that was there and went into a Pentecostal cold. And I couldn't wait to get out of there because I, I, I was almost afraid to be in there because I had never seen that before. And in my mind, I left there prejudice thinking, that is not a real church. Because they didn't do things like we was talking about. I always share my testimony when it comes to communion. Man, I was brought up in the strict Baptist church. You had to have gloves on. And you got to have a job there with the white with the water in it and everything. Everybody going to wash their hands and all that. I mean, it was very, very formal. I mean, and that's what I grew up in. And so the first time I experienced something outside of that formality, I thought it was wrong. Man, they dishonoring God. These dudes passing around a big old loaf of bread and everybody pinching off of it. Where the gloves at, Doc? You didn't even wash your hands. You, you, you know, everybody didn't wash their hands. They're pitching off the bread. So I, in my naivety, after service, I went to the chaplain and said, hey, man, look here. Y'all just messed up communion. You ain't no gloves on. You ain't wash your hands. And furthermore, you passed a little goblet around, and that before COVID, all the way before COVID, they all drank out the same goblet. So you know I ain't partake of that. I just watched. But then afterwards, he told me this, and I remember this, I'm going to take it to my grave. He said, you're hung up on the method of how we do it instead of the substance of what we're doing. And I said, whoa. I became that judgmental because the method that I was used to, gloves was required. A white picture with some ladies with white dresses on, pouring water into it, was required. Then I started thinking, that made me look at the way we did it. I said, wait a minute. That's holy. Deke back there, when he's filling it up, he ain't got no gloves on at all. 
And I'm like, he ain't got nothing on. Then all of a sudden he come out and put gloves on when the ceremony started. But if it was holy back there, he should have had gloves on too. I mean, it's, it's just what you say. But, and the same thing Keith was saying. I mean, that's with anything. You do what you know. I mean, if you're not taught anything different, then you don't know anything different. I mean, I, you know, coming up in church, we were coming to the church and we would see the Bibles were always in, in, the, in the back of the, the pews. So, but the, the pastor didn't never say open up a scripture. So for a long time, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is the way that it's supposed to be. You ain't supposed to bring no Bible to church. He's not going to say turn anything. They're going to take up a collection three or four times, okay. and then he's going to get to the end. But that's what I knew, and, and I wasn't taught anything different for a long time. So when I joined the military, I go to church. I'm thinking, man, what are they doing? What is this, what is this music? You, you just don't know. Amen. Amen. Adrian? I was going to say, um, the, I'm just been listening to all the conversation, how we're talking about tradition and um, the, the customs that we're used to and it being based off maybe the culture you're upbringing and I was just thinking how that sound, it just sounds like the whole conversation from the very beginning to now legalism versus licentiousness meaning we can't get caught up in hey this is the way we, we normally do it so we want to see it done this way but then the other end of that is, is licentiousness the license to sin and I think those are the two extremes but we got to be found somewhere in the middle knowing that in the center of God's will, knowing that, hey, legalism is not correct. You know, maybe holding fast to a tradition that is not a sin if you don't abide by this tradition. But also knowing that there's some things that are forbidden, period. And I Amen. just don't want to lose that. Um, yeah, there is some do nots, period. And so I, I don't know why I feel strong enough to say that, but... Yeah, legalism is wrong, but a license to sin. God's grace is not like a license to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And, and you period. know, Paul and Paul made that very clear. You know, when somebody said, "Hey, you know, but grace abound, but sin abound, grace abound that much more," and he said, "Well, somebody asked the question, then, hey, well, if that's the case, then I ought to keep sinning so I can get some more grace." And then he said, "No, God forbid. That ain't how that works. You know, your grace is there, but at some point in time, you ain't going to be able to." Play God and say, hey, because I know his grace is there, he's going to always give grace to me and have mercy on me, so I'm going to just go and mock him now, knowing to do some things and believe I can keep coming back. And he's going, now he may, he God, he can do what he want to do, but at some point in time, there will be consequences for what you're doing when you're going against God's word. You know, um, I, I saw an interview with a young pastor today, and he was talking about all, all of the NFL young men then come to him because he is a barber and he does some really good work. And from him, him is a pastor child, you know, but he start and him say, the war him give the word, him don't preach it and shove it down nobody's throat. And him say, him don't beat down people when them come to the church telling them what, how they're going to hell for certain things that they do or they don't do. Him try to give them hope and let them know that you can live happy with God's word and still have a good time without the sinning and doing the, the stuff them. So peop, the, these people, them looking at this young man, all happy is, and they just want a part of it. So he didn't have to invite them to church. They was glad to come to church to hear the word because they say, it's better you give people hope 
than beating them down, telling them why they're going to hell, instead of showing them. Instead, when you live the word, then people can see and follow you instead. Amen. Why you get a mic? I heard you say somebody lived the word back there. <laughs> Is there a mic close by? Ooh. Yeah, you say live the word, and that's, that's good too because we are the church. You know, if you notice wherever Jesus went, they had church, you know. It could be by the river, wherever. So we are the church, so it starts with us. A lot of times we think that we have to bring them to the synagogue, so to speak, but it starts with us, you know. That church is in us, and when you got saved, he gave us power. Believe it or not, with that salvation came power, power to overcome whatever it is that's trying to stop you from witnessing to your other brother or sister or sharing the word or sharing the gospel. He gave you power to overcome that fear. So it starts with us, and then when we want to, we bring them to the synagogue, but we are the church. We Amen. are the church. Amen. A lot of times we want to bring them to the building, but it starts with us. Relationship, communication, opening a, a dialogue, it starts with us. Just yesterday I was talking to some guys, and um, I was telling them about a conversation back then. And I said, look, man, you watch me, and, and you, 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 um, you hold me accountable to certain things. But I said, I hold you accountable too. I said, God didn't create you to live a reckless life just because you claim that you're not a Christian or whatever. He didn't live you, create you to go out there and have sex and drink and, and shoot up drugs or whatever. So I'm holding you accountable too. You see what I'm saying? He didn't create you to live a reckless life. So I'm telling you that because I love you. I tell you that because I want you to know that there's a better life than this. You could have fun. Like you say, you could enjoy life. You don't have to get sloppy drunk. You don't have to sleep with everybody. So the eyes open up. One of the brothers asked me, well, where, what church you go to? I told him about the discussion we was having tonight, um, yesterday, but I, I didn't see him. But, and, and that's how you open up stuff, man, you know? So I just Amen. wanted to share that. And Pastor, real quick, freedom does not equal sin. God wants us to have the freedom to love and to enjoy life and to do that. And I think so often, and this is just my personal experience or my personal growth in, in all of the churches I've been to, it just seems like a lot of times it gets so bound up. And when you want to express yourself or to be free about something or even have a discussion, it's always wrapped around this, oh my God, you have the world and you're the sinner. And, you, and that, that's the mentality or the message that I constantly got growing up. When freedom don't equal sin, God wants us to be free. That smile on my face and when I'm talking to somebody who may need God or do, it's like, you know what I'm saying? It shouldn't be where you walking around looking like you sad because then why would I want to be a part of that? You know what I'm saying? And so a lot of times when we talk about these things, it's always we talk about that part of us just being in this place where you can't, you know, and, and it's really the freedom of that. We're the joy of the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't get to see that part because we always talk about the stuff we can't do. And then if you do say something, everybody, it's just, I, me and him fuss all the time. So I was like, stop being such an extremist with everything. Like, that does not mean I'm out here sinning in the world because I have an opinion about something. I'm learning. You're being free. You're growing in God. We're learning from each other. That's why we show up here. Even though the church is in us, we fellowship one with each other. But if everybody all, I ain't going to say that. What are we learning? Amen. Amen. And, you know, uh, we got, we're done now, you know, but we'll pick up at verse 5 next week. But, you know, one of the things that they, you, I heard ministers say all the time, and, and I'm pretty sure this was a seminary term, but 
that the, the Pharisees, they, they majored on the minors. They, they, they focus on the, and we won't see that till we get to the end where Jesus used the analogy how they strain a gnat out of a, a glass, but then they would drink the whole camel. You know, all because they thought a gnat was an a, a, a unclean animal, and you dare, you dare not drink a gnat. You know, so you strain all your water, and then he's saying, but the inside of the cup is dirty, and anything that's dirty in there, you drinking it right into you, and you don't strain the gnat, you know what I mean? But, and, and, and so uh, I think that's, we're going to see, it's going to be very interesting now he, when he starts coming at him next week real hard. So again, thank you for your comments tonight, and like I say, we'll deal with that next week, and, and we'll move on from there.